Hello, this is Mark Brown for Beyond the Room at the Mind State Society, 1960 to 2010, half a century of UK psychiatry and mental health services conference at the, where are we? We are at the Royal um, Society for Medicine. And I'm here with... Joanna Burke. I'm Joanna Burke. Brilliant. So we both know where we were. Luckily, Joanna's <laughs> just given the talk, so we're all in the right place. Um, can you tell the people at home a little bit of the stuff you were talking about? You were talking about very much the history of psychiatry and mental health since 1960. Yeah, I mean, what I was, I'm an historian, so what I'm really, really interested in is the actual historical aspects of mental health and psychiatry in Britain from the 1960s to the 2010s. And I think when you look at this long, it's actually quite a long period, there's been such dramatic number of changes, which really fascinate me. Um, I spoke about five of these changes that I think are the most important. The obvious one, of course, is the deinstitutionalization. I mean, this is the period where in Britain you get the destruction of the old Victorian asylums that, you know, have been there for 150 years. So these majestic, you know, um, buildings, mainly in the countryside where land, of course, was cheaper, Mm. um, which used to house um, mentally unstable, mentally ill people in often quite horrendous ways, you know, really quite dehumanising ways. And what happens in 1961, you get a sudden shift in this idea, Enoch Powell's idea, he was Minister of Health at the time, Enoch Powell's idea that actually mentally ill people should primarily be treated in the community as opposed to in these old asylums. And that started the process. And, you know, it's you know, there's good and bad, of course, to this. Mm. Um, you know, on the one hand, it is providing greater autonomy for the mentally ill. It's giving them a say in their own treatment to a much mm. greater extent. But it's also sort of requiring them to act in particular ways that they may actually not want and may actually find very uncomfortable. Also, it has to be admitted, you know, they closed the asylums, but they really didn't uh, put money into proper care in the community. And that was always a problem. Are you suggesting the UK jumped into a set of policies they hadn't made the financial preparations for? It's not like we've got a track record in that. (laughs) They hadn't made the financial. I mean, the financial calculations they had made were very, very simple. This will be cheaper. You know, and, you know, the idea that you you don't look after the most vulnerable members of your community is, I think, really um, appalling, to be to put it really bluntly. Um, they didn't invest enough. And so what you get is you get people moving in and out all the time. You get um, the wards that, that survived because there was always some people who needed to be institutionalized became more and more and more, more crowded um, and more you know, difficult. And there have been number of uh, scandals that emerged because of this. But deinstitutionalization is a really important thing. I think the other important thing which is linked to it is anti-psychiatry. Because, of course, you then get psychiatrists saying, hang on here, you know, I did this job, I trained for many years to help people. And the people I'm dealing with are are, are suffering because of what we're doing. And so you get the anti-psychiatry movement, Goffman being the the most influential um, British Um, proponent of this who actually said psychiatry is the enemy psychiatry Mm. is eating up our mentally ill people and psychiatry is the is the problem not the solution 
Um, the anti-psychiatry movement then morphed into what I think is the third major change, which is the patients' movements. Um, mm. And here you get um, you get patients saying, actually. You know, the anti-psychiatrists have got a thing there. Why am I being treated like this? But they're taking that one, in fact, many more steps forward. And they're saying, huh, why aren't I telling them how I want to be treated? Why don't, where are my human rights here? Don't they know that I am a complex person, that I am making contributions to society? I'm not simply mentally ill. I'm a full person who's contributing to society. I'm a complex person. And... I have a right to over my own fate. So that kind of came out of the anti-psychiatry movement, but it also was there for other reasons as well. I mean, I think social media has really helped the, mm. the, the sort of patients' movements because people can talk to each other. <laughs> they don't have to go to, to the psychiatrist. They don't have to go to the institution or the profession. Um, now, there's downsides of that as well. I mean, I don't think we should be rosy-eyed about any of these things, mm. um, you know, the social media has been fantastic for patients. Absolutely wonderful. I've used it myself hugely. But at the same time, of course, there are exploitative practices that are taking place in some of these forums as well. So we do have to not be too rosy-eyed about that. And I think the final real big shift is the, and I hate this word, so I'm going to apologize, the psychiatrization of everyday life, mm. uh, which is, I think is another big shift. So everything becomes a psychological illness. Everything comes under the remit mm. of the psychiatrist. So you know, you're not just sad. You have you know a illness, um, an anxiety illness, mm. or a depressive illness. So that's that's the other one, I think. I think what's what's kind of really interesting to me because you're a historian. Historians usually deal with things that are quite complex and multifactorial. Um, it felt like this morning's session there was kind of a lot of discussion about culture as well as institutions, the way institutions are products of culture and stuff like that. The time period we're talking about here kind of ends in 2010. Do you feel like there is a decisive culture shift that happens in 2010 or do you feel like it's a kind of arbitrary cut-off point just for the purpose of today's conference? <laughs> well, I'm an historian, but I didn't set the dates. Yeah. I was given the dates. I think 1960 is a good beginning point mm -hmm. because this is the start of deinstitutionalization, the start of anti-psychiatry, the start of really effective pharmaceuticals. So that's a really good cutoff date. 2010 is not such a great cutoff mm. date. I mean, it does make a kind of sense in that the 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 um, uh, the people who were alive in 1960, of course, are, are elderly or coming elderly um, by by 2010. And one of the things I'm very interested in is the the care of elderly people. So the baby boomers we start mm. with. By the end of the period we're dealing with, they are now elderly people, and these are the people who actually are at the bottom of the care mm -hmm. regime in psychiatric terms, in terms of psychiatric care. You know, and I, I spoke a, a little bit today, and I wish I had more time to speak about you know the elderly um, and the problems that they face mm -hmm. um, getting appropriate care. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. That was wonderful, and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Mm -hmm.